Greetings to each one this afternoon. Well, this is going to be the final one for me. If we go our way. I think I'm going to leave some of my heart here. But uh, I have enjoyed it immensely. Anyway, I'm not going to waste much time in wasted words. I'm going to rush through this message. Time has a way of creeping up on me. I don't know why I can't get used to making, my, making them shorter. I just have an awful time with that. You, brethren, you need to pray for me on that. Seeking a life's companion is the title of my story. Proverbs 18, verse 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. My wife's brother didn't get married until he was 33 years old, and this became his favorite verse. But anyway, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, we're going to use that also. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, as I address this subject, I'm very much aware that, or uh, I'm very much aware of perhaps differing opinions among us. I realize that if I want to get specific about some of these things and get detailed about it, I'm going to open up doors of possible disagreement. To this, I'll boldly say I make no apologies. I absolutely make no apologies. I only ask that you hear me out and then decide what I shared, if what I shared is scriptural or not. Give me the liberty to share my view this afternoon, and I'll give you the liberty to come to your own conclusions. I've seen a lot of youth get hurt in my days, and I had part in some of it, which I shared a little bit ago. But I have come to the conclusion that this is not necessary. God has better ways for His children. God has better ways for His children. When young people get hurt in pursuit of a life's companion, it's usually because no sound direction was given the parents and or, or was given by the parents and or the young people took matters into their own hands. I personally feel God's children need teaching in this area. There are many heartaches, uh, hearts aching even now as I stand here. There are many hearts aching because of a lack of this. This subject could be extended to several messages, but I have chosen to conclude it in one, uh, so I need to hurry on. So let's look at this subject with an open heart and a teachable spirit and evaluate it honestly. That's all I ask. Evaluate what I'm going to say this afternoon just honestly with an open heart. But before I go headlong into it, let me share a, common, a concern I have that is often prevalent among youth. The tendency to become impatient with God. That's so often the case. In youthful years, you know, time seems to go slow for many. And often they begin to get impatient as they wait for things to happen in their lives. Many, as they begin to approach their mid to upper 20s, begin to think thoughts like, when is God going to get to me? When is God going to address my situation? When are things going to happen for me? Life is moving on and I'm getting older. This is especially true of young girls since they are the ones that have to wait for things to happen rather than make things happen like this side does. You know, this side usually makes things happen. At least in our culture, that's the way. I'm not sure if that's the culture everywhere. But usually, a girl is not very, uh, thought of very much if she's the one that uh, takes the initiative to find a boy. But uh, anyway, this can be a trying time for some. And many in their desperation for things to happen do like Abraham did. They want to help God along, you know. They just got to help Him along. 
They begin to lower their standards and they start losing convictions that they stood firm on, uh, firm on at one time. Things that were important to them. Because of this, many have thrown caution and wise counsel to the wind and reap bitterly for their impatience and haste. Let me tell you all clearly, in seeking a life's companion and a marriage partner, carefulness, prayer, and godly counsel cannot be overemphasized. Don't shortchange that. It is one of the most important decisions of one's life. Many a person's eternal destination hung, was hung in the balance here. Impulsiveness, impatience, and the determination to have my own way should have no part in this all-important decision. Get it straight. If lowered standards and convictions are what it takes to hurry up the process and attract a certain person, then the person it attracts is not worth going after. Many young people really do want to marry a godly companion. That's their heart. But don't want to live the life it takes to attract that certain person. You cannot expect to attract the opposite gender if you don't want to live what you expect him or her to be. So if you're wondering when God is going to bring up your case and begin working at your part in life or work on it, relax. God has already zeroed in on you. He's never late. He knows exactly where you're at and what will work best for you. Even as you sit here this afternoon, He has you on His mind. Do you believe that? I believe He does. Even as you sit here, He has you on His mind and He's working behind the scenes to bring the things together just for you. Just what suits you best. Listen to these beautiful scriptures to confirm what I just said. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. Delight thyself in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Do you have desires here this afternoon? He shall give you the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way, which means thy life, unto unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He'll what? He'll bring it to pass. I mean, that's God. He stands behind His word here. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Love those words. I know it's not easy, but young people, they need to claim these verses. They need to claim these promises of God and stand on them. Especially when they start getting a little impatient. If we, God's children, could just learn to stay out of His way and let Him work things out in His time. If we could just learn that. But so often, we are like Abraham. We get like Abraham. We get impatient and we think that God needs a little help. You know, he can use my help a little bit here in this thing. And the whole world is still paying for Abraham and Sarah's haste. We must never forget, God is the author of all true happiness. There is no true happiness outside of what God's plan is. All true happiness comes from God. And so if we want a happy, fulfilling life, we need to learn to rest in Him. Let Him pull the strings. Stay out of it. Keep out of it. it. Don't start pulling strings to make things come your way. Do you know what is meant by by commitment and trust? Do you know what it means to commit and trust? It means to let go and to relax. Just let go and relax. I don't know where your heart is this afternoon, sisters, brothers, but if your heart is getting anxious about that certain companion you'd like to have, let go and relax. God will bring it together in a lot nicer way than what you can bring it together. Think how often God answers when, ch- when His children do this. How many married women, anxious and desperate to have a child, got pregnant once they gave up, relaxed, and gave everything to God? Just gave it over to God. 
The same often happens with young people. I know a lot of young people that way. You know, they started getting anxious and they just had to resign themselves and give it to God. And God was working behind the scenes and brought it right together just in such a short time. Many ones, they totally gave up and gave their future especially to God. Found their answer in a short time. Do you know, do you know, do you know why I believe this often happens? Our trust enables God to release His blessings, cause and effect. God is a God of cause and effect. And once we meet His cause, He is able to bring about the effect. As long as we hang on to something and don't commit it, He can't release it. Paul says, I know and am persuaded that He is able to, to uh, keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. No more, no less. What we commit, God is able to do something with. What we're not willing to commit, God can't in, just interpose or in, in, uh, God cannot interfere in just uh, because He's a God that gave us the liberty of choice. We need to continue to remind ourselves. He is the potter. We are the clay. And the clay that is shaped by his hands is always happier than the clay that shaped itself. Let us now address the subject of seeking a life's companion. I want to divide this subject into three parts. Dating, courtship, and engagement or commitment, whatever you want to call it. And in so doing, I realize that perhaps in our minds we have not all arrived at the same conclusion as to what is meant by these terms I'm using. So I'm going to describe them from my point of view. Let's look at the term dating. This term is largely being used by the world and even among some Christians. Fortunately, many, many uh, people's eyes are being opened to this practice and dating among God's people and are taking measures against it. But also, unfortunately, for many of us, in our youth, we didn't get teaching on the dangers that are involved in this. We never got any teaching on that. And therefore, we have to say, we learn by trial and error. We don't all have to go that way. I'm convinced God has better ways for His children. Just what is meant by dating. First of all, I'm not talking about having a date when I use the term dating. A date, a date, uh, a date and dating around are two different things. So we will try to define the practice of dating by what I see as the typical accepted practice in society. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a very unhealthy practice to say the least. But for many it's a, it's a practice that's handed down from generation to generation where many don't even, uh, uh, where many don't know of any alternatives. If I would stand here this afternoon, which I'm not about to do, and I would tell you what dating meant to us growing up in the, society, in the culture I grew up in, it would be embarrassing and I would never even tell you. Let's remember something as parents. God is more interested in our young people's social life, our young people's spiritual and emotional life, and their future marriages than we are. God is more interested in that than we, as concerned as we parents are. God is more interested in our young people's social life, spiritual and emotional life, and their future happiness than what we are. God has not left these children without direction in these areas. I'm absolutely convinced of that. If we are willing to find direction and patterns, even object lessons in His Word, His Word is not silent. I believe it's the Lord's will that we as parents spare and protect our children from some of the experiences and some of the regrets that we've had and that we faced when we were young. Dating, what are we talking about? In all honesty, if I define this term as I see it and have seen it, I would have to define it by and large as temporarily romantic relationships where both parties recognize that there are no commitments involved no promises being made of any permanence 
and both understand that the purpose of their relationship, the purpose of this dating that's going on, is to just kind of enjoy one another now. No permanence attached to it, no commitment attached to it, no strings attached. Let's ask ourselves a question. Is this pleasing to God? When two people have a romantic relationship without committing themselves to each other, more is involved than what appears on the surface. Much, much more is involved. There are unseen ties made where emotions and hearts begin to knit together and often at a later time they're torn apart and left with bleeding hearts and aching hearts. God is not pleased with those things. Even if physical purity is kept, this is not enough. Deep hurts can result where no commitment is made. Later on I want to go into more detail concerning commitment. But dating is basically a trying each other out for fun. Where there's no, uh, no parental guidance, there's no parental guidance involved and no emotional restrictions uh, practiced. It's what I call dating around. An uncommitted, loose, temporarily involvement with each other. That's what it amounts to. This many times results in damaged emotions and heartbreaks. What is dating but institutionalized flirting? What is dating around but institutionalized flirting? It's a structure intended to provide acceptable opportunity to flirt. And it's one huge flirting session after another without any commitment. It's practicing, playing, and experiencing with one another's emotions. I get pretty emotional about this message because I, I see so many people hurt over the years. It, it's building the foundation for some deep trauma and hurt down the road. Steer clear of it, young people, while you're young. It's starting a bonding process that should never be started until there's a commitment made. Emotions, they begin to bond together, which often later are ripped apart, leaving bleeding hearts and deep emotional scars. And that's not the end of it. This happens to all the time in the world. Why do you think, why do you think that some of the songs that are out there in country music and such are so, so popular? Because it touches the heartstrings of so much of our society. To see it in the world is one thing, but to see it among God's children is another thing. God gives His be children better direction. And this is where the parents need to be active. They need to protect their children from these painful experiences by giving them some sound direction as they get older and as they seek a life's companion. We're living in a culture that doesn't see the danger of this breaking up mentality. Even among Christians, this prevails in a lot of areas. We are living in a divorced prone society a divorce prone society which I believe is a result largely of dating around those who have dated around have conditioned themselves to, the, to breaking up more than being faithful that's how they've conditioned their hearts a common thought among young people who date is that if they find some incompatibility with their partner they just break up in hopes of finding the perfect one and it goes on and on and on in this way, they condition themselves to avoid working things out when problems arise in their marriage after they're married. This they carry right into marriage and divorce becomes an option instead of working through their differences. Dating around and breaking up also, like I said a little bit ago, the end of it is not just broken hearts at one time, 
But dating around also, uh, uh, dating around and, and breaking up also nurtures a callousness in the heart to where the hurt one grows very cautious. The hurt one grows very cautious. To where even after marriage, they find it hard to be vulnerable to hurt again. And let me tell you, this tends to breed a certain amount of independence that should not be in a marriage. And let me add also, no intimacy can be experienced in a marriage without both making themselves vulnerable to hurt and disappointment. You cannot have an intimate, good marriage unless you're willing to make yourself vulnerable to one another and be open to disappointment. Dating also easily arouses youthful desires and passions taught against in our text here in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. It's playing with relationships. That's what it's doing. It's playing with relationships and it's having regular interactions and involvement with others on an emotional level that excites passions, otherwise dormant. This becomes very addictive. Once a person goes down that road, it's very hard to turn around. It's hard to control the aroused appetite, let alone put it back to sleep. Since I'm very limited with time and since I trust most of us don't believe or at least do not promote dating, I'd like to move on to courtship. One last thought before I move on. If you want to get a good biblical picture of dating, study Samson's life and what the results were. I mentioned him a little bit the other day. Later on in the message, we want to look at his life more closely. Let's move on to courtship. Depending what your definition is of the word courtship or what you think of when you think of that word or when that word is used can make all the difference. If you look at courtship as a getting acquainted time without emotional involvement, then I believe things can work out. But if you give room for extensive emotional involvement to take place in courtship, you're getting into that which should be reserved for the commitment stage. Now, I use the word extensive involvement. Extensive emotional involvement, I, use, I said, because we need to be realistic. It's almost impossible to keep the emotional level strictly at zero. And I'll tell you, especially on this side. Sometimes this side is not so much so. But especially on the boys' side. I'll tell you what. Boys oftentimes spend six months, a year. Some of them have spent two years praying for a certain girl. And I will grant this. It's almost impossible for boys to have their mind and their prayer life centered around a young girl they're looking at and thinking of and, and seeking God on for a year, two years without getting some emotions involved. So I said uh, it should be kept to a minimum. We are still people. We are still emotional people. But that needs to be strictly kept at a minimum. Later on, I'll share why it's so important to keep this at a minimum. Some don't like the term courtship because of the connotation that goes along with the word. It, uh, I use it for lack of a better term. But the word courting does carry the meaning of wooing or drawing one, uh, you know, drawing one out. The behavior of one wooing one into a deeper relationship. And these are things I feel are only for the commitment stage. If not, then courtship is just another more carefully planned form of dating. If two woo each other, if two woo each other into a deep emotional relationship without any commitment, the heartaches, the hurts, the emotional scars can result as easily as if 
as, as dating around. Sure, it doesn't involve so many different people as dating around, but it's nevertheless. It's taking the liberty to draw another out into a personal, emotional level and causing a bonding process to begin without a solid commitment to the same. It's opening the door wide for one to defraud another. Paul talks about defrauding in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 36. Defraud, what does it mean to defraud another? In the business world, it's called cheating. It's leading someone into believing that you're committed and later relinquish the deal, taking advantage of the other. That's what defrauding is, taking advantage of another. It's backing out of an expected commitment. It's backing out of an expected commitment. Maybe you didn't, ex- maybe you didn't think it was a commitment, but she could think it was a commitment. Either way, it can, it, can, uh, it can be defrauding. Now, does this ever happen in romantic relationships? Many times over. It certainly does. Many of us have been victims of it. Broken hearts, damaged emotions and scars that last for years and people find it hard to trust another again. Perhaps by now you're wondering how I feel this seeking of a life's companion should be. Well, I'm going to share what conclusions I have arrived at, then I'll give you the liberty to draw your own conclusions from that. First, dating, as I defined it, is out. Without a question. Not even an option. Second, courting, as I defined it in its true meaning, is equally out. God never intended young people to go through heartbreak and deep emotional trauma in their seeking of a life's companion. And unless the emotions are kept in check until there's a commitment made, that is too often the outcome. But among a lot of God's people, courting is just another more readily accepted form of dating where no commitment is made. If you look at courting as a time of getting acquainted, directed by both parents, where emotions are kept at a minimum, then I believe it can work. And I don't have any problem using the term courtship. But get that straight. No, if there's no, you know, if courting is simply a time of learning to get acquainted, getting to know each other, we all need that. And we'll go into more detail here. We need to keep in mind the problem and the potential for tragedy and heartbreak is emotional involvement. Emotional involvement without any commitment. As far as the use of the word courtship, most people use it for lack of a better one, like I said. So what are some self, uh, safe guidelines? What are some guidelines to take when one is pursuing a life's companion? Let's consider five steps this afternoon. Number one, prayer. Much prayer. Seeking God in the matter. The Bible says a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Our heart may pull us a certain direction, but the Lord needs to direct our steps if we want his blessings. Share the matter with your parents. Share the matter with your parents. Don't go, don't go at this alone so, you can get the, so they can help you in prayer. Two of my sons asked my wife and I, two of our, my, our sons asked my wife and I to help them find a life's companion. <clears throat> that was a very, I, I, I looked at that very seriously. Because I did not want to make a mistake. 
Remember something important. The more you seek God in the matter, I want you to get this, the more you seek God on the matter, the more you can rely on Him when things start going sour for you. The more you seek God on the matter, the more you can trust Him when down the road you begin to face obstacles. Quick decisions, impulsiveness, impatience and selfishness should have no room in this all-important pursuit. An open heart to counsel and a will on the altar is a must in this stage of prayer. Step number two. Confide in your parents. Tell them your heart and leading. This provides solid footing. It provides solid footing. And after, they have wi- and, and after all, they have wisdom beyond yours on the matter. And they can give you some valuable direction. I tell my young people, I said, I've got an advantage. I've been where you were. You've never been where I am. I believe parental involvement is very important. And their approval to the selection of a life's companion is equally important. Remember Samson. He didn't give his parents or their advice any consideration. One person alone, one person alone often does not see character flaws like two or three people do. Samson went out on his own when he met his first wife from Timnah. And if you will recall, marriage to that woman was never blessed. Judges 14 says he went down to Timnath and he saw a daughter of the Philistines that he liked. Against his parents' advice, he insisted on having her for no other reason than that she pleases me well. You don't have to read much between the lines to conclude that he allowed himself, first of all, to get emotionally involved to the point where he was blinded. So involved, in fact, that he threw his own sense of reason plus his parents' counsel he threw them both totally to the wind. We read that his marriage ended in a terrible tragedy. Once a young man has shared his interest with his parents, in this step number two, and having had a period of prayer with them on the matter, and still is experiencing peace about it, he is now ready for step number three. At this time, contact should be made with the young lady's parents, preferably by the father. Whether this is done by the father or the young man himself is a matter of preference. I've experienced both and either way it was a blessing. I'm not saying it has to be one way or the other. I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong impression maybe. Uh, When you make contact with the parents, make contact with the father of the parents of of the other companion. But it can be done either way by the father of the boy or the boy himself. I have no problem with it either way. It can be a blessing. But once everyone involved has peace about the possibility of these two getting together and the answer is a solid yes, step number four is in order. One thing the young man must keep in mind, be very patient as you await the young lady's response. You have been praying perhaps for her a long time with her on your heart. She did not have that opportunity. She might not even have thought of the possibility. Matter of fact, she might be in total shock. That happens. Give her time to adjust. Any impatience, any impatience at this point is a sign of immaturity and a lack of trust in God. Step number four. This step I feel is a very critical one and I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on it. 
because of the potential to let the flesh dominate. Great care should be taken and an unassuming attitude exercise. Right at this point is where I feel many are too presumptuous, especially the relatives of the young couple. I've seen this happen over and over again. Friends, church people, even family, they get too presumptuous about it. Right away they expect things to take off and a wedding down the road a little bit. You know what? This can put a real strain on the young couple that's courting. It can put a real strain on them. Even to where some panic and they're hindered from properly evaluating the relationship they're having together. They're trying to make things work rather than let things work out for them. Because of the pressure. After all, this young couple is just starting to get acquainted. This presumptuous prevailing attitude by others has kept many young men from taking the step of getting acquainted because of fear of failure. I've seen this. I know of a church that for a while there was a lot of young men and a lot of nice young ladies that they were in their mid-twenties or older, lots of them, and they just the boys didn't see a need they, of, even, uh, of even pursuing a life's companion. And, and a lot of it was fear. They were, they were uh, courting and, and uh, courting was, was so lifted up and in such a level and portrayed as such an important issue where, where you don't go unless you're led by God and that kind of thing, which we all believe in that. But we have, we're also human and we have to realize that we need to get acquainted. And there was so much pressure put on the young people at that time that if someone did, did, uh, was getting acquainted with a boy and decided we're not for each other, that they were sort of marked. Because everybody expected them to get married. And that can put an immense amount of pressure on young people that I don't think is fair to them. There are too many all-important issues that need to be talked through and agreed upon to assume that these two are going to get married right away. Getting acquainted. What am I talking about? This is a time of asking questions. This is a time of listening to answers, being observant and evaluating attitudes and so forth. Nothing should be taken for granted. And a close guard must be kept on the emotions. To the extent that emotions are involved at this point, to that extent will accurate evaluation and discernment be hindered. I'm going to repeat it. To the extent that emotions are involved at this point, to that extent will accurate evaluation and discernment be hindered. Whether by the parents or the young people. Sometimes even the parents want it to happen so badly that they don't evaluate things properly. The emotions should never be allowed to control the will, but the will, the emotions. We have a wonderful example of controlled emotions by Boaz and Ruth in the book of Ruth. We see a real picture of a couple that were mature enough and they faced reality and they kept their reserves up till things worked out for them. They didn't allow their emotions to rule them, but they faced the possibility of, uh, of them not being able to get married. Boaz pointed out to Ruth that he, did not have a near, that he did have a near kinsman who was entitled to her first. And only if God wills, he said, would they be able to get together. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, in Ruth 3 verse 18, also cautioned Ruth to sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. Beautiful picture. Don't get excited. Keep your emotions in check until you know how things will turn out. I believe that's what Ruth, uh, that's what Naomi meant to her daughter, her daughter-in-law. 
But we see Ruth and Boaz here, we see both of them wise enough to be careful on this matter in case God had other plans for them. In this step of getting acquainted, what should this involve? The main issues of concern should be the compatibility of the two. Do these two young people possess what it takes to work together, to walk together, to make their marriage work with reasonable effort? Or are they so far apart from each other that nothing but serious trouble can be expected down the road? I've made this remark and I believe it's, it's true. I believe there is no marriage that could not have worked out and there's no marriage that could not have failed. It's up to us what we make out of it. By the way, a lot can be detected, young people, by where the parents are at. A lot can be detected. It can be detected. Yet it's not right to judge children totally by where their parents are at. There are young people who manage to break free from their parents' weaknesses and start their own life with a godly vision. There are young people that are able to break the chain. My own son-in-law grew up in a home where his mother and dad divorced when he was 13 years old. And he grew up without a father from there on. They weren't even Christians. He later got saved, joined the Baptist church, and later met my daughter and he became a wonderful son-in-law. He's married to my daughter Martha. They're living in Africa as missionaries. So we, it's not right to judge all cases. Nevertheless, be keenly aware of dysfunctional families. Children from such families often carry a lot of garbage into their marriage. Although I'm sure there are many more areas and things to check out, I'd like to suggest three major areas to get acquainted with and find out where the other one is at. Commitment, character, and vocation. Commitment, character, and vocation. All three of these are basics that need to be addressed and evaluated in all sincerity. Don't just leave this to the young couple. Parents, get involved. Find out where this young man is at. Find out where this young lady is at. You need to get involved as well. Another thing that needs to be addressed before I go any further, this needs to be addressed by the girl's father before he ever introduces the young man to his daughter. I'm going to get quite critical and I have no sympathy for otherwise. But I think this is something the girl's father, before he ever introduces the young man to his daughter, he needs to address this. Where is this young man at in personal matters of purity? Do, don't make the mistake in assuming that this young man is free. You'd be shocked. If you would know how many young men in so-called Christian good or in so-called good standing are involved with pornography and lust problems. You'd be shocked. <clears throat> That's something I vowed. No young man is going to get past my doorstep to see my daughter until he's clean. My daughter's worth more than that. No young man involved in these things has any right. He has no right to pursue a relationship with a pure young lady until he has proven himself to be victorious for a long time. You may think I'm being radical. But listen, 
The daughters of Zion are not cheap, young men. And the father who doesn't check these things out before he gives his daughter away is being presumptuous. Pornography is a deadly evil. It's a deadly evil. It's sewage straight from the kingdom of darkness. It's addictive. It's filthy. It's cheap. It desensitizes you and it cheapens your concept of purity. And if you're sitting here tonight or this afternoon and you're involved in this, the devil has a grip on you that you better go get some help for because you don't have the strength to get rid of it by yourself. And you'd better get desperate and seek counsel and prayer. You are playing with a power that is much stronger than you are. No young woman deserves to get married to a man that drags this deadly evil into their relationship. I grew up into manhood, unconverted, without knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. You heard my testimony this afternoon. Yet I never got involved with pornography or had any desire to get involved. To me, it was always disgusting. Now I see young men, one after another, raised in Christian homes, struggling with it. Something is wrong. Beloved, I do not believe this should once be named among us. Back to our subject of commitment, character, and vocation. Let's address commitment. If you want to check out a person's commitment, one needs to look deeper than a claim to be born again and a Christian. You need to go deeper than that. Than one that claims to be born again and a Christian. One needs to look for a life of faith a consistent life of faith, a zeal, and a desire for more in that Christian life. There must be evidence of a solid, sold-out life and, a Holy, and Holy Spirit power. We heard a lot about that this week. And let me add to that. Never be yoked to one that refuses the yoke of Christ. Never allow yourself to be yoked to one that refuses the yoke of Christ. Many a father was later deeply grieved to find out that he gave his daughter away to a young man that later proved to be uncommitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I could name down my hand how many I know of today. Look for commitment. If there's a true commitment to Christ, and look for this, if there's a true commitment to Christ, there is also a commitment to His body. Don't separate the two. If you do, you might find out later that you gave your daughter to one who proves himself to be an individualist that floats around uncommitted and under no authority. Let's address character. What are we talking about when we think of character? Now remember, this is what you want to be searching out in this getting acquainted time. Check out the character of each other. What is his or her character like? Now's the time to find out, not later. How does this person respond to the needs of others? Is there selfishness evident or unselfishness? A willingness to sacrifice or is there just unconcern about the needs? Is there consideration or indifference? How about communication? Does this person freely communicate and openly express him or herself? And let me tell you, this is, I feel is a very, very important one. I know we all want to have handsome husbands and beautiful wives. That's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. 
And after all, you're going to be sitting across the table from that face for years. But nevertheless, look for one that you can communicate with. That's all important. I told my children, I said, look, it's not that important how they look. Oh yes, it's important to us. Let's not be fickle. But nevertheless, if you can communicate, that goes a long, long way. And I tried to tell my children that. I shared a little bit about the heartache I went through and that it was self-imposed or that it was my decision to go through that heartache and it was because I couldn't communicate like I wanted to. Does this person freely communicate? Does this person openly express himself or herself? How is this person responding and relating to his or her parents? A lot can be detected in this relationship. Let me tell you, young lady, be impressed with a young man that has a good relationship with his father and he treats his mother with respect. Be impressed with that, especially take note of how he relates to his mother. Young men, take note of the young lady. Take note of the young lady that loves her daddy and gladly submits to his leadership. Take note of such a young woman, that, uh, one that respects her father and honors his decision and vice versa. Be cautious and alarmed where this is lacking. Young lady, look for a young man who shows a degree of properness. He just shows a degree of properness and he's courteous to other women as well. Take note of such a young man. One who is responsible. One who is reliable. If there's one thing I see missing today in a lot of young men, it's this irresponsibility that, that goes along with, with this careless attitude. Listen, you get married, you need to be a responsible person. You've got some things in your hands that you're responsible for. You can't just be casual. I can openly speak. I don't know how these young men are, but I tend to get a little hard on young men. And I don't apologize. But young ladies, look for one that is responsible, one that is reliable, and knows where he stands, and he's not afraid to show it. Young men, look for a subjective, meek, and quiet spirit. Look for that. A subjective, meek, and quiet lifestyle and mannerism in the lady. The improper woman described in Proverbs 7.11 was loud, not quiet, stubborn, not subjective, and independent, her feet abideth not in her home. Look for a woman that loves it at home and is content to be just a simple homemaker. A contentious, challenging spirit in a daughter is also a character trait to be concerned about. If she challenges her daddy, she'll challenge you. Vice versa. Young men, if, you're not, if you can't be nice to your mother, look out girls. Time will come when he won't be so nice to you either. How about attitudes in general? Attitudes are very revealing. Get acquainted with the other's attitude. It will speak volumes. Is this person's general attitude critical or forgiving? Concerned or independent and unconcerned? Remember, courtship brings out the best, but marriage brings out the rest. What about vocation? What about vocation? Is that something we should be concerned about? Since we believe the husband should be the breadwinner, and we already spoke about the lady being a homemaker... And keep her at home. I'm going to primarily speak about the young men. Like I said, I get a little hard on men. But that's alright. 
They need to get hard on. They're the ones, they're the ones that are going to lead out in the home. And the wife, if she's submissive like she ought to be, follows. And sometimes my heart is just grieved. What kind of a would-be man some of these women are counted on to follow? What is his attitude about work? What is his attitude about making a living? Take note, girls. Scrutinize it. Look deeply into this. Does he have a good work ethic? Does he have a lot of ambition? Or does he prefer to sit around unconcerned? Is he one of those who can hardly wait for Monday morning? Or one of those that come Monday morning, I wish it was Friday. You know, we laugh at that. But these things matter when married. Ask any woman that has a couch potato for her husband. It means something in marriage. Can he successfully hold a job for long periods of time? Or is he constantly changing jobs? Drifting, shifting. Does he know how to be thrifty and save up his money when single? If not, how will he provide for two or more? If he had a hard time providing for one, how is he going to provide for two or more? The Bible says, He that doesn't provide for his own house is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. In this stage of getting acquainted, don't let the physical, don't let the physical distract you. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful or handsome. We all know that. But that's only an additive. Don't let that be the determining factor. That's just an extra blessing. These can hinder. You know, if, you, if, if, if these beautiful and handsomeness, they, they can hinder and be a distraction to virtue. Let inner beauty be your judge. After all, what does being handsome or beautiful have to do with virtue or character? Or may I add this, why should they have anything to do with making a lifelong decision on the compatibility of two personalities? Why should handsomeness or beautiful have anything to do with making a lifelong decision on the compatibility of two personalities? Let me share with you two reasons why it's so important to keep desires and emotions out of the getting acquainted stage. Number one, when two people get emotionally involved, it tends to dull reality. Very easily. They don't realistically face issues. They allow their emotions to be the deciding factor when they face real differences. They have this, marriage will take care of everything. You know, that's how they look at it. Marriage will take care of everything mindset. Only to have a rude awakening later on. They tend to think along this line. How can anything be so alarming when we are so much in love? But emotions can blind the person totally to reality. And what often happens when that takes place, they spend their time of getting acquainted in their emotions. They spend all their time of getting acquainted in their emotions. And after a while they feel they're ready to get married and they really don't know each other. They begin to use endearing words and love languages meant only for committed or married couples. This greatly hinders their evaluation of one's true character. The same goes for physical contact. And the physical, I believe, is strictly for the married. But if a young couple who are getting acquainted start down that road, they always end up further down that road than they meant to go. <clears throat> now 
not only are their emotions involved, but their physical appetites have been aroused, and their fleshly desires have been aroused, and lost ground is almost impossible to regain. Not only, not only that, but they get totally blind to reality and sound judgment. Who can come up with the sum total of heartaches and griefs and regret through this? Why do you think these romance stories and these love stories and these songs and stuff are so popular? Let us remember, we are not the pawns of love. We command love. Love does not command us. True love is a commitment. It's controlled. We control true love. Only infatuation and lust controls people. True love is not something one falls into. We are not the puppets of love. Number two, no person has a right to another's purity or innocence until they have rightfully given themselves in commitment and marriage. Do you want a husband or wife that has been involved with others and has emotional scars to deal with? Do you want that in your marriage? The uncommitted boy or girl who played around, that, that you played around with and, and got too familiar with might well be another's wife or another's husband someday. I know of situations where boys and girls were, didn't have teaching and they got too much involved with one another and they ended up getting married to somebody else and they both live in the same church. Ooh. They see each other. You and I don't want that. I feel there's a better way for God's children in the getting acquainted time. Make the most of it. Get to know each other, where each is coming from and where they are going, where the goals are, where the other's vision is, what the struggles and the weaknesses are of each other. Get to know these things. That's what you do in getting, in, in getting acquainted. How long should this time of getting acquainted be? As long as it takes to get to know and understand each other. However long it takes to know who this person really is and where he or she is headed for. And neither has any doubt. Before I go into the commitment step, uh, stage, let me, or a step, let me read something I got just here some time ago. Dear Brother Roman, I'm sending you this message to beg you to pray for me. I'm struggling. My family is falling apart. My marriage is in trouble. My children will not follow God's ways. They're rebellious. They want the things of the world. They want to do what mom lets them do instead. My marriage is in trouble. My wife and I agreed on basic, agree on basically nothing. I make a decision for the family and it's most of the time shot down. I give the children directions for their lives. Again, it's shot down. I'm at a breaking point. I just want to run far away as I can and never come back. Please pray for me. <coughs> this is a brother that's been born again. <coughs> Number five. The commitment. This is a very serious step to be considered. And one should not be taken, uh, one, that step should not be taken till peace is experienced. After both sets of parents have given their approval where possible. Let me explain. There are situations at times where a young girl gets saved out of a setting where the, where the parents are not saved. And the parents are basically contrary to about anything the girl wants. She finds herself in a hard spot. And she tries, she wants to please her parents, but yet she wants to please God. 
and she finds herself in between a rock and a hard place. I've seen those situations. The boy may come from a Christian home and the girl's a solid Christian. They'd like to get married but the girl's parents won't allow it. It can be vice versa too. They don't want her to get married. They're contrary. They don't, because they don't think the boys, that, that she should get a boy from their setting and this setting is, is one where they don't even believe in being born again or at least they don't experience it. And there's just a contrariness there. Those things are hard. And I've been asked advice what to do in situations like that. And I'll tell you what, there are no easy answers. The older I get and the longer I'm a parent, the slower I am in trying to separate children from their parents. But sometimes it's necessary. If one loves father and mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. So we have to look at that sometimes. But be cautious, ministers, brethren. Be cautious with that. I've seen a lot of bad go wrong by siding up for a young man or siding up for a young girl that was trying to get her way and blamed it on her parents but had a little bit of rebellion in her own heart and, and some of this will not work out. It will not work out. But nevertheless, I said, get both parents' approval where possible and where all have peace. Then both should pledge their faithfulness to one another. Whether it's considered a commitment or an engagement, I don't feel it makes a difference. But neither do I feel it's the same as a betrothal in Bible times. In Bible times, betrothal was... Uh, betrothal was... Uh, they made their vows. They actually made their vows and even had a ceremony. And then they separated and went their way until some later date they actually, uh, actually uh, consummated their marriage. But as long as there's doubt, don't make a commitment. I've already had to give counsel to a young lady that came and said that years ago before she was even converted and clear she made a commitment to a boy and it never turned out and she asked me am I free to get married that's a hard question you don't want to look lightly at a vow others have said if two people have been engaged and they separate there's nothing nothing should be that should not be allowed unless there's fornication come in between them and if they do separate they should not ever get married to anybody else and I think that's taken a little far. That was done with a betrothal. A betrothal is not an engagement. And I don't count them two as the same. Like I said, a betrothal, their marriage vows were made. <clears throat> but quickly making a commitment so doubts vanish won't keep them from returning. Face those doubts squarely. Face those doubts realistically before you make a commitment. Come to terms with them and settle the turmoil first before venturing further. My daughter, she had a hard time with a young man that was interested in her. She had absolutely no emotional feelings for him. She, she wanted to, and I loved the young man. He worked for me. He was a very stable young man. He's in the ministry today. And I, I liked the young man. I wanted things to happen. But, you know, she just didn't have quite peace. And her and I took many, 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 a three, four mile walk, tried to settle things in her heart. And finally I told her, I said, look, it's not fair to him and it's not fair to you. You might as well break up the relationship. And she did. And today she's happily married and he's happily married. It just seemed that they were not for each other. But come to terms before you make a commitment. Just how this engagement, as some prefer, is to take place, how long or how it's supposed to take place, I believe is up to the individuals. But it should be clearly understood that both are making a serious commitment to each other. That should be understood. Earlier I talked about the heartbreak and emotional trauma involved in many cases where emotional involvement was permitted before the commitment. Do you realize that God is very much concerned about these experiences young people go through? 
I believe God weeps with those that weep. I just believe He does. Because Jesus tells us to weep with those that weep. And if Jesus wouldn't tell us to do that, because He does it, if we have the mind of Christ, I believe God weeps when people have these heartbreaking experiences. I believe He grieves with them. This period of time between commitment and the marriage altar is for two hearts to be bonded together spiritually, emotionally, before physically. Once the commitment is made, I tell my daughters, love him. Love him. Let your emotions go. I don't care how strong they go. That's, that's great. Let me tell you something. My wife and I, unconverted as we were, we experienced such a beautiful, beautiful love relationship before our marriage. I wept on our wedding day. And my sister asked me, right at the time of the wedding, she came up to me when we were sitting at the table that was all laden with food. She said, how do you feel? And I couldn't answer her. I just, I just wept. I was so happy. And I tell my young people, I tell my, my children, love is too beautiful. It's absolutely too beautiful not to have it before you get married. Don't get married if you don't absolutely love one another and long to be in each other's presence. Now I know it has happened different and they have learned to love each other. I'm not saying it cannot happen but love is so beautiful that I want all my children to experience it. But marriage should be approached with greatest anticipation and joy. A longing to be together where true love is unmistakable. And however long it takes for two hearts to reach that place that's how long the commitment period should last. And let me add faults are thick where love is thin. Faults are thick where love is thin. There's so much more that could be shared, but I need to bring this message to a close. Let's ask ourselves an important question and then answer it with an honest heart. Is it ever right, is it ever pleasing to God for two people to emotionally give their hearts to each other while not willingly pledging their faithfulness to the same? Perhaps there always will be, at least to a certain extent, heartaches and emotional hurts involved where two are engaged in the process of becoming one. But I believe with all my heart, with proper precautions and teachings and loving parental involvements, this does not have to be our experience. One last thought before I close. I said I do not really believe in the term falling in love but I trust you know what I'm saying when I say this. A successful marriage requires falling in love many times over, but always with the same person. May God bless you. I would like to add one thing. 
Before we, I'm sorry if I interrupted. Please go. I'd like to add one thing. My wife and I had such a beautiful courtship. Not I wasn't taught the purity of that I'm teaching here, but we were pure when we got married, and we had such a beautiful relationship. Such a the first time I met my wife, the first time we had a date, something clicked, and I knew it, and she knew it. Even though I had a, another experience before. I had a fear because of what I, what I went through before. I had a fear as a young man because of this other girl I had courted. Uh, there was no reason why I shouldn't have loved her or married her or whatever except I just I had this check in my spirit. And I had to do a lot with communication. But anyway, I got, I got to the place where I was afraid that if I get married, I'm going to have all of a sudden this feeling that I had with this other girl is going to come back and all of a sudden I'm going to wish that I had never got married. And I, I had such a fear of that thing. And I gave it to the Lord. And I wasn't converted. And I gave that to the Lord. And when I met my wife and the first date we had, something clicked. I never got that fear. And never one time entered my mind. The first date we had, I knew this is the one. And she knew she had exactly the same feeling. Now, what I want to bring out is this. I have shared that with my children. And I have shared that with other people. And now automatically they expect the same thing to happen for them. I caution against that. It doesn't happen always the same way. And if it happens different for you, don't get discouraged. That doesn't say you were not meant for each other. We that get saved aren't saved the same way either. There's perhaps a lot sitting here today can't point to the date and the spot like I can. That doesn't mean you didn't get saved. I know of girls, and I, I discourage this, but I know of girls on their marriage, the day of their marriage, they, there was absolutely no, not much of any emotional involvement with their husband to be, and I, I, just, I just don't like that. But they have learned to love their husbands, and today they have a beautiful, beautiful romantic marriage and, and love relationship. So, like I said, we are not the pawns of love. We order love. Love doesn't order us. Go ahead. We had a question. Um, what, what would you suggest, or what, what would you, how do you feel about a situation where there's maybe doctrinal differences? Um, you could say, even before the relationship starts, you know they're there. How would you suggest going about dealing with something like that? That's a good, valid question. I make a big difference which side it's on. A young man, I've known young men to, to uh, be attracted to women, say, say places like Honduras, Hondurans, other countries, where they have very little teaching, and young men from America marry those women and they had a wonderful marriage. Vice versa flags go up. Why? Because the husband is the leader of the home. And once you get a man that doesn't have a good foundation and you give your heart, girls, to such a man, you, by the authority of God's word, are called to follow that man. And if he doesn't have a good, solid foundation, you might end up at a place you don't want to go. The other way, the man is the leader of the home and he can take a girl and lead her in a way where she will, she will flow in with his walk and she can adjust to him because... Now, I, I think you need to face things realistically and, and check out where this girl is. Is she one that is willing to follow? Is she teachable and all that stuff? 
But it works a lot easier if the husband is the one that, that is leading another in, if, if the husband is the one that is solid and the, one is, the girl is not as solid. Uh, I'm, am I making myself clear? Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't want to take more time off of yeah. Any other questions? Sure, there's lots of questions. They just don't want to bring them out. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, sure. You mentioned something. I think I understood you right. You said after a commitment or engagement, let your emotions go. Absolutely. <laughs> now, be this, use discretion. <laughs> I said emotion. I said no physical. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't. Emotionally, I, I think it's a wonderful time. When two have pledged their commitment to one another, it's a wonderful time. I mean, if you, want to, if you like the term falling in love, well then fall. <laughs> Do, does any of the older people have questions that you want to ask? Can you clarify um, the, what the thoughts are on the physical side of things that I don't That's a good question, and you know, it's, it's a touchy one, because we have not all arrived at the same place. I know a young man related to me, that, and, and this was a man that was into drugs, he was on the street, and that man made a radical change. He got, he got married to my niece, and uh, yeah, I guess it would be my niece, yeah. Uh, anyway, he got married to my niece, and that young man, when he got saved, I mean, he's a challenge to all of us. That man decided it's all or none. When he got saved, he sold out for Jesus. And he made a commitment, he's going to stay on fire for the Lord, because I'll never make it if I don't. And that man is one of the greatest challenges. But anyway, what I was going to say, he committed himself. This is a man off the street that knew nothing of hands-off courtship, so to speak. This young man decided he's not going to touch his wife, his girl, until she's married, until they're married. That meant holding hands or anything else. Now, I'm not saying we have all arrived at that. Personally, I feel each situation, each couple has to come to an understanding what they want to allow and not allow to a certain extent. Don't come up and say, well, well, everybody's their own judge and I'll do that which is right in my own eyes. That's not a good solid footing. I've said this way to my children. I don't like extensive holding on of hands, holding each other's hands. Uh, If you're taking a walk and... And, uh, and, and you're going to cross a little brook or something, if you want to take the girl's hand to help her across. I mean, I'm not going to say that's out of order, but beware, you can also invent brooks, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, think, I think carefulness, yes. So, you have a commitment to take a young man, he vowed in his heart, I will marry a virgin. I will settle for nothing less. And so, the way the better system is designed, we come into it with pretty much solid what we're going for marriage. How does he, um, do you recommend that he finds that out from her or from her father? Uh, I'm just trying to be real. Um, because that's, if that's his intent or her intent, better to find it out real quick up front before too much 
Absolutely. I don't think a, sh a young boy and a girl should even court without the intent of marriage at the end of the courtship. Now that does not mean that they're going to get married, but that should be the intent. How does he find no. out if How she's a virgin? Oh, okay. Okay. Absolutely. I think that's not out of order. And sometimes, of course, we have the situation where because of an unconverted life or whatever in the past, you have reaping for sowing. And we don't want to throw that all away. That happens. Uh, my wife and I, before we were married, we sat down actually quite early in our courtship. We sat down and we just discussed this openly. Are you clean? And am I clean? And, and you know, we could, we could rightfully and, and joyfully tell each other we are clean. We are never had anyone else. We're for each other. And I think that's beautiful, but not everybody has that experience. And let's not be too hard on someone that didn't have that experience that regrets it and has repented of that thing. But there's one thing I'd like to bring out in this, and I find this at times, and I, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for it. I find this is young boys are out there sowing wild oats and getting involved with a half a dozen girls, and all of a sudden they want to settle down and they want a nice, pure virgin. That's not right. If they want to come and they say, I've done wrong, and they look... And, and, and they do end up with a virgin, that's a, an added blessing, but they shouldn't demand it, nor should they expect it. They don't deserve anybody better than themselves. Thank you. Does that clear? Yeah, I, that, that's the way I would see. I just, you want to know how to find out. I think it's good. I, I think that uh, these young people need to hear us older men say, if that's your passion, you want to find out, better find it out quick. Yes. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that that's the standard everybody has to have. Um, I'm not. That's not my intent. But yes. Well, it should be an understanding. Why are you courting? I mean, you, I just said that this, this dating around, that's not to be among us. And so any young boy that asks a girl, the girl should automatically know that he's asking for marriage down the road. They shouldn't even meet together unless they have that in mind. Anyone else? I think this side is very silent. Maybe you want my wife up here. We've got it all figured out. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Very You're much. welcome. I think that was good teaching.